0: We are, as you know, walking through the book of Revelation. Last Sunday, we talked about uh, a couple from Romania and the price they had to pay for their faith in Christ. And today, we're going to be talking about a family in North Korea. Um, North Korea is, as you can see right here, China borders it. Um, South Korea, um, a lot of history in that part of the world. Um, why, Why are we talking about Romania? Why are we talking about North Korea? Because as we look in the book of Revelation, specifically chapter 7, we see that there are so many martyrs, they can't even count them. The apostle John can't even count them. They're martyrs because they put their faith in Christ, and when they did that, um, they forfeited their life here on earth, but they were brought into heaven. Uh, DC Talk did a couple books on uh, Jesus Freaks, and it's a modern day um, story, The Voice of the Martyrs. They network with that organization, telling these stories that uh, we heard last week and another one this morning. So we're landing in North Korea, and Kim was a young man with his friend walking through the streets of North Korea years ago, and all of a sudden, two Korean, North Korean police officers just kind of came up to him, bumped Kim off to the side, and they pushed his friend down on the ground and um, accused him of being a Christian. So here's the deal. After this experience, Kim went home, and when he came into his house, his mom was there, and she saw the just the facial expression and the way he was carrying his body that something had definitely gone wrong, and Kim didn't say much about it. And after a while of his mom prodding her, prodding him, he, he began to open up and tell this story. Kim's friend was knocked to the ground. One of the policemen started beating him. The other police officer pulled out his gun and pointed it at Kim's friend. After accusing him of being a follower of Christ, the police officer, uh, in the process, shot him several times and killed him. What got Kim's attention was, first of all, his friend, and it seemed worried, concerned about what was about to happen to him. In fact, he seemed very peaceful. In fact, before he was shot, he said, God forgive these men. Well, that got Kim's attention. And so when he came back home, after seeing his best friend murdered in front of him, he had to work through that. His mom said to to Kim, you know, I understand, I understand what you're going through. And, and Kim says, how can you? You know, you weren't there. And so his mom began to tell Kim that she was a follower of Jesus herself. The reason why she never told her son, sons plural, out of fear of what would happen to him and, in fact, what happened to Kim's best friend. She didn't want to lose her son or sons. And so she was excited, first of all, that even though she never spoke about her faith in her home to her children, she prayed for them every single day, that God would bring somebody into their life. In fact, that's exactly what God did. God brought a young man into Kim's life to model what it would be like to put your life down and do it, In a positive way. Kim's mom began to tell the testimony why Jesus came, gave the gospel message, why he went to the cross, why he died for the sins of the world. And after telling the message of the gospel, Kim said, I want to do that. And so Kim's mother prayed with him to receive Jesus Christ. And of course, that was a very cool time. Mother-son exchange. Moments later, Kim became concerned. He said, man, we have, I have three younger brothers that will be home very soon. I need to tell them about Jesus, what I experienced today. And so when they came home, uh, they realized something was different. And Kim said, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And And proceeded to tell his three younger brothers what had happened that day. His best friend being accused of being a Christian, shot on the street. Kim coming home his mom telling him about her faith in Christ, presenting the gospel. He put his faith in Christ and because of that, he wanted his three younger brothers to do the same. And guess what they did? That evening, all three brothers put their faith in Christ and Kim's mother realized, hey, we don't have a Bible. We need to get a Bible because that's how we're going to grow in our faith with Christ. And so... Uh, Kim realized that he needed to do something, and he eventually secretly crossed the Yalu River into China, uh, found some Christians, and uh, they came across a miniature Bible in the Korean language. And Kim says, man, that's what I need. I I, I need that. And they said, we can't give it to you because we're using it. And um, so Kim said, hey, I'm going to come back in a month. I want 5000 of these miniature Korean Bibles. Can you do it? And they said, we'll see what we can do. They got the word out, and so uh, Christian workers were able to print up 5,000 of these miniature Korean Bibles, and over the next year, Kim, along with his brothers, returned into China, smuggle those Bibles back into North Korea, knowing full well that they were putting their lives at risk. Well... Since their last pickup of the Bibles, nobody has heard from these four brothers. What's happened to them? Well, we can make the assumption that they were most likely arrested, at least. So, that's what's going on in our world today. And as followers of Christ in America, nobody had facial recognition cameras on the front as you came into the building Uh, There weren't security guards out front frisking you, uh, intimidating you about coming into church today, were there? No, we have that kind of freedom. And when we have that kind of freedom, we tend to take life for granted. So we're leaning into uh, chapter 7 of Revelation because this is going to happen in history. We see in this text of Revelation chapter 7... That this is the great tribulation. The great tribulation. Now, it is possible that some of you have never heard of the great tribulation. And uh, maybe you didn't grow up in church. Maybe you're searching uh, for truth. We need to go back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they sinned. They brought sin into this world. Ever since that happened, sickness, disease, death, suffering have occurred and are occurring even right now so that was back in the beginning at the garden sin came in you go all the way to the last book of the old testament malachi 400 years from malachi to matthew when john the baptist came into the world and foretold that jesus was going to be the messiah There were 400 years of silence. Then you had the new covenant, Jesus going to the cross. The veil in the temple was torn, which separated common men and women from going into the very presence of God. That veil was torn, signifying that you and I now have the ability and the opportunity to come into the very presence of God anywhere at any time. We don't need anybody else to do that for us. We can come boldly into the presence of God. And so right now, that was 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to the cross. 2,000 years have occurred. 4,000 years from the time of Adam to Matthew. And 2,000 years since. So 6,000 years of world history. And right now we are racing towards what? the Great Tribulation. What's that? That's seven years. That is a seven-year window in history where the Antichrist will come on the scene, become the world leader, one world government, and rule the world. And during that time, as you read through the book of Revelation, bad things happen. In fact, last year we did a series on Wednesday night called The End of the Story, where Pete Briscoe did a tremendous job in presenting uh the, the prophecies out of the book of Daniel. And knowing world history, some of those uh prophecies, visions have happened. Also, those prophecies will end up happening during the tribulation. So What happened already in world history has been very accurate, and I can tell you, hands down, the Great Tribulation is going to happen exactly how the Bible presents it. It's a day that's coming. Pete Briscoe put it this way for the believer, it's going to be bad for a while, but it's going to end great. For the unbeliever, it's going to be great for a while, but it's going to end bad. And you're going to see that even in this text this morning. So, just a heads up for those of you that have kind of come and gone over these past months, uh, I want to go back to Revelation 1, the first chapter in the book, where we are told that God blesses, verse 3, the ones who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. So I'm blessed. You don't have to feel bad because, check this out, and he blesses, God blesses all who listen to its message. That's you. You're blessed. But that's not the end of it. How are you blessed? You obey what it says. That's what it says. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. Why? For the time is near. The time is near. The great tribulation... Is on the dock, waiting to happen in world history. It's going to happen, and so here we are in uh, Revelation seven. Uh, we we started last Sunday, and so we're gonna we're gonna continue through today. Coming off chapter six, we see that those that are alive, that have rejected God, bad things are happening. In verse 17, it says, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive? The the people are crying out for the rocks to fall on them instead of dealing with the grace of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who's on the throne. They would rather have rocks fall on them than instead putting their faith in Jesus. It's, It's wild, but that's what happens. When you keep rejecting Jesus over and over and over again, your heart will become so hardened and calloused You are in a bad place spiritually where you would rather have rocks fall on you and destroy you and spend eternity outside the presence of God than coming to the Lamb of God and saying, I recognize you're the Savior of the world. You died for my sins. I put my faith in you. The free gift of salvation. Who would reject the great love of God? Well, people are doing it and they will do it in the Great Tribulation. And so, coming off um, number one, four angels, no wind. Number one, in your notes, verse one, I saw four angels whose eye, that's the John the Apostle, he's, he's seeing a vision into the future, just like Daniel saw into the future. I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds, so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or any, on any tree. When you use your imagination and you can see four angels standing at the four points of the earth, think about God created the earth. Man, he created everything, the universe. You see the stars out in the sky last night, by the way? God created those too. You see the majesty and the magnitude of God. But anyway, they're holding back the four winds. Holding back in the Greek means to grasp, to seize, to restrain. It means a lull in a storm. And I mentioned this last week. It's as if you're in a spring storm. The rain, the winds are pounding, and all of a sudden, everything stops. It's silent. That kind of gets your attention, doesn't it? Like, whoo! And sometimes a tornado comes in following after that. Kind of like in chapter 7, there's a pause. It's quiet. Chapter 8, things are going to get revved up again, where this earth is judged for its sin. So yesterday at the No Regrets Conference, which was great being with the dudes, man, uh, we, we sit together as a group from Life Church and during the worship for the major sessions and it's just cool hanging out, listening to the men sing and worship. It does my heart good. There was uh, a session by uh, um, Brady Boyd. He's a pastor out in Colorado Springs. And... Um, he was talking about uh, the Sabbath, the importance of having a day where you you basically relax, you chill, and it it, it was good it was a good session, which I will get into momentarily number two um, one angel with a seal so Last Sunday after church, I, I went home and, and I uh, put, uh, opened my laptop, put some music, worship music on, cranked it. I was home alone and uh, ate my sandwich. And after, um, there was a song that I kept hitting over and over again, which you're going to hear at the end of the gathering today. You will. It's a song... Uh, A song about surrender. And it was in that time alone with God that God, I would tell you, God, God spoke to me. And Psalm 27, 8. Uh, David writing this, this is, I would say, happened, this is what happened to me, and it happens to you. My heart has heard you say, who God say, Come and talk with me. So God is 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 is. Speaking to David, hey, hey, come and and spend some time with me. And when God does that, he he, he does that to you and I, and we always have a a decision to make. We could say, yes, Lord, we'll do that, or no, I'm too busy. David says, my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. That's a good response, Lord, I am coming. So that's kind of where I was Sunday. I I sensed in a very quiet way that God was saying, just spend some time alone with me right now, which I did. And I kind of camped out on that, this song that you're going to hear, and other songs coming thereafter. And with that, I was reminded of the value of turning the winds off and having time alone with God, without the busyness of life, without... Everything grabbing at your attention. Because as we know, this world is full of distractions to keep you out of the presence of God. Brady Boyd put it this way there's a Jesus Jesus rhythm. He said most of our problems are either caused or made worse because we are moving too fast for too long. If we're busy, we feel important. If we slow it on, we'll have to be honest with what's really happening in our lives. Haven't you found that to be true? That is a major reason why Americans say do not quiet themselves down, because they don't like what's going on in the inside. Because what's on the inside tends to surface when we're quiet before God. Brady said there was a time, being a pastor, he said, my life was so frazzled, I I was working nonstop, and my life was falling apart. And he said, so I took a trip to Israel. And he said, I had a, I had a guide from Israel that was able to walk me through stuff. And he said, uh, the Sabbath was coming. And the Sabbath in Israel is Friday at sundown all the way to Saturday, Saturday sundown. And if you've gone to Israel and you've been around... Uh, like a Friday, you know, afternoon. You'll notice as it gets closer, you're beginning to see the sun. You know, it's out there, and it's on its way down. You'll see people moving around, getting their stuff together because they know when the sun goes down, everything stops. You know, no taxis, no restaurants, nothing is open. And so Brady noticed just before the sun was going down, that people were, were commuting, communicating this to each other. And it was Shabbat Shalom. That's what they were saying. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat is the Sabbath. Shalom is peace. And so he asked the guide, what is Shabbat Shalom? Why, why are they greeting each other like that? And he said, it means may you find God in your rest, and you may find that rest is found in God alone. And some of you this morning need to put that into practice, man. Your life is hanging by a thread. It's like nonstop, busy, busy, busy. And you will never find rest until you spend time in the presence of God. And that quietness. When you read God's Word and you let God's Word speak back into you. It's a beautiful thing. As Americans, we have such a hard time to let that happen. so, I enjoyed that time last Sunday afternoon. And I'd like to encourage you personally to find a place, a time, a Shabbat, to get along with God and let God speak to you. Because I'll tell you something, things are speeding out of control, and you will not survive unless you take time to be alone with the Lord. This angel, this angel, one angel with a seal, so the four, and he, uh, John, John saw, and I What what jumped out at me, too, by the way, is um, when you take time uh, to be with the Lord, uh, notice he says, I saw, in verse 1. I saw, in verse 2. In verse 4, he says, I heard. In verse 9, he says, I saw. When you Have the winds stop and all is quiet. You will see God like you never saw him before. You will hear God speak things into your life you've never heard before. It's cool. It's cool. And that that just kind of jumped out at me as well. John in chapter 7, he saw, he heard because he was in the presence of God. We're robbing ourselves of so much. So let it happen. Let it happen. Be intentional. So this angel with the seal, what's that all about? And we know we heard the seal, the Antichrist, in the Great Tribulation will have the mark of the beast 666, you will have to have that mark in order to buy or sell. You can't buy food. You can't buy gas for your car. You can't buy medication for your children. Whatever the case may be, that's what happens. And God knows that's going to happen. And so here he's bringing a seal into the Jewish community, and he's he's marking the Jewish people who have put their faith in Christ, 144,000 that will become world evangelists who will go into their communities and tell everybody about the great love of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God wants everyone to be saved. That's what he wants. Well, last week we hit Ezekiel 9, and I think it's a great picture, by the way, when Jerusalem, Israel, is under judgment. God has been sending people into that nation to put their faith back in God. They've they've followed all the gods of of the surrounding nations and they've rejected God over and over again. And when you reject God, you slip into a sinful life. And so God is saying, it's time to judge my people. And in verse 3 of Ezekiel 9, the Lord called to the man dressed in linen, who was carrying the writer's case. There's a writer's case. He said to me, walk through the streets of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of all who weep and sigh because of the detestable sins being committed in their city. And so the picture here is, it seems like most of the populace is involved in gross sin, man. They've rejected God. But there are people who are grieving over the sin of their people. It's impacted them. They see the cost of sin. Sin carries a price. And so you can, people say, man, I I can live my life the way I want to. I can sin any way I want. God is up in heaven. Right here is a picture that even though God is in heaven, he is everywhere. And he recognizes people who are sinning. And he recognizes people who are grieving over their sin. He's identifying them. And he's having a man walk through the streets of Jerusalem putting a mark on the people who are grieving over the sin of their nation. When was the last time you grieved over what's grieving God? It should. We should grieve, we should be hurting God. Because it grieves the heart of God when he is rejected, when he is displaced. And so, that's what's going on. But even to dial in it even closer, I love it in Ephesians 1, where the Apostle Paul is is saying, as followers of Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in Christ, he seals you, he marks you. How does he do that? He marks you with his Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians 1, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. In the Greek, it means he put his seal on you. What's that look like? By giving you the Holy Spirit. When he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people he did this so we would praise and glorify him you know what's cool about this verse he put his holy spirit in you so that you would praise and glorify him you know what's going on in heaven with these martyrs these gentiles that have put their faith in christ what are they doing they're standing before the throne praising and glorifying the lamb we get to do it right now even before we get to heaven So, you're marked, I'm marked when we put our faith in Christ, and we have that guarantee of God's Spirit. So, these Jews, 144,000, are marked and sealed, and God is going to protect them through the tribulation. People will try to kill them, but they can't. People make fun of them, of course, putting, you know, they're talking about Jesus. They they get that, but God's going to protect them supernaturally because of this seal. In 2020, February 2nd, you and I have been commissioned to be ambassadors, just like these 144,000 Jews during the tribulation. We get to do that right here, right now. In 2 Corinthians 5.11, we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. We work hard to persuade others. Verse 14, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Verse 18, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us, who's us, followers of Christ, This task of reconciling people to him. Verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. And we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Why does God have you on this planet right here, right now, after you put your faith in him? He has you here to be his ambassador, to, to reconcile, to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people that are in your world. That's why. Somebody from church sent this to me, an article from Decision Magazine. Decision Magazine comes out of the Billy Graham Organization What's at stake for the church? The title, it was an interview with a pastor, and they were asking him different questions. And one of the questions was, churches seem to be less evangelistic than they used to be. What are the consequences of that? He responded, People usually do not believe the gospel until they have met a Christian who has integrity, who loves them, who knows what they believe and is willing to stand for truth. We complain about our culture, you know, how tough it is out there. But we still have opportunities to tell people about Jesus. They're doing it in North Korea. They're doing it in China. They're doing it in places where it's illegal. He says, one study found the reasons why Christians do not evangelize is because of unconquered sin in their life. Their sin convicts them, and their conscience says to them, how can you recommend Jesus to someone when he has not delivered you from your sins? So that's really the issue I think that has to be confronted. You need to confront that sin in your life and stop making excuses for it so that you can be liberated to be Christ's ambassador it's time you started telling people about Jesus and stopped making excuses for it. If we would evangelize and see souls saved, it would rekindle our faith in the gospel to live up to its promises. Last week, I was given the opportunity to present the gospel to somebody I never met before. And after our conversation, I can tell you, there was... was jumping jacks going on inside my core. Excitement, the thrill, the opportunity to be able to tell people about Jesus. You want to get your faith fired up? Tell somebody about Jesus, man. It'll get you riled up. It'll get you excited. That's because you're doing what God's created you to do, be his ambassador. So, number three, the 144,000 Jews are sealed. We hit that before they are sealed, they're protected as they present the gospel during the great tribulation. Number four, a gathering in heaven. Verse 9, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God, who sits On the throne and from the Lamb. These people have given their lives for the cause of Christ and they're having a party in heaven. They were shouting with a great roar. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. They sang, Amen, blessing and glory. And wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. The heart of God is to have people respond to his message of forgiveness. That's his heart. Even in the middle of the tribulation, all hell is breaking loose on this planet. And the gospel is being presented by 144,000 Jews. Isn't that crazy? God has a plan. And so, First Timothy 2, 3, God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. That's what God wants. That's his will. Last week, we had Louis Giglio. Great, great series we just finished up on Wednesday nights. He said, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? The better question is, how could anyone reject the love of God? That's true. And you know what? God gives everyone the opportunity to do that. They can reject it or they can receive it. That's incredible. And these believers come from every nation and tribe and people and language. not just exclusively for one country or five countries, for all nations, all tribes. Can you imagine what's going on in heaven here? Standing in front of the throne, they were clothed in white robes, held palm branches. Hmm. We see that Jesus said in Luke 15, 10, in the same way there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And you kind of get this image here, the, na- the angels never experience salvation, but man, do they get excited when a human being puts their faith in Christ. It says that they have a party when one sinner repents, but here's a crowd of people you can't even count. And they're standing before the throne, which causes the angels to fall on their faces, man, and worship God. They just be able to see that happen, to see how God reconciles, to see the grace of God extended over and over again. How cool is that? I don't know if you saw this, on um, uh, January 23rd, scientists set doomsday clock, you guys are all up on that, right, the doomsday clock, Hmm? to 100 seconds to midnight, how long is 100 seconds? It's less than two minutes. The apocalypse is closer than ever after the bulletin of atomic scientists reset the time on doomsday clock to 100 seconds to midnight making the first time ever the clock has been set within the 2 minute mark. Midnight on the doomsday clock symbolizes the end of the world. The last time the clock was set was in 2018 when the bulletin set the timepiece at 2 minutes. The closest humanity has come to the metaphoric end of the world. It's a hundred seconds to midnight. We're now expressing how close the world is to catastrophic times in seconds, not even hours or minutes. It's eliminated any margin for error or further dip- delay. I think uh, my life is in God's hands. Hey, if the world is saying there's 100 seconds to apocalypse, what is Jesus saying? How close are we to the tribulation? How close are we to the coming of the Lord? Why are you messing around? Why are you procrastinating? Why are you making excuses why you can't live for Christ? You have an opportunity. And the power that caused Jesus to come out of that grave is resident inside you when you put your faith in Christ. So, number five, who are these people? Well, they are they are those who died in the great tribulation. They died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. So Hebrews 9:14 just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. So we know over 100,000 people become martyrs for their faith every single year. That's a lot. We see that these martyrs who realize that they're standing with white robes and they're waving palm branches, that signifies victory. They've won the battle. It cost them their lives, but they are now in the very presence of God. The white robes signify their sins have been forgiven. And when Almighty God sees them, he sees them white as if they never sinned. The righteousness of Jesus Christ has been exchanged. what a picture And number 6 a glimpse of heaven verse 15 that is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night just a footnote there day and night doesn't mean the sun comes up and the sun comes down that's symbolism words there to say that they do it continually there's no sun in heaven because the light of Christ will light all of heaven And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. Why? Because we mentioned if you don't have the mark of the beast, you can't buy or sell. They were hungry because they couldn't buy food. They were thirsty because they couldn't get water. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life giving water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. I was thinking about my dad. During the Depression, he would tell us stories. They lived on the south side of Chicago, and his dad was an alcoholic, and so to get food during the Depression was a tough time. He said we had potatoes for breakfast, we had them for lunch, and we had them for dinner. That's all they could get. During the Tribulation, if you don't have the mark of the beast, you can't buy food. You will be hungry. And so we see them. Their robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That great hymn, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can my sin erase, nothing but the blood of Jesus, not of works, tis of all grace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Aren't you glad for that? Hmm. Today is a great day to put your faith in Christ. Just like people reject God's grace during the tribulation, people are doing it even today. You may be here this morning and you're doing the same thing. But it doesn't have to be that way. We see that the promise, Jesus will wipe every tear that's ever fallen from your face. There there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I'm looking forward to that day. Brad Border was a young man. Man, the guy... Considered himself an atheist, he had made a bunch of wrong decisions. His life was a wreck. People that knew him realized, you know, he doesn't have a positive future, man. And one day, Brad's driving his car through the Smoky Mountains in North Carolina. And if you've ever done that, you realize you've got to concentrate on those winding roads. You don't want to go, whoo, off the side. Because that can happen. He's got one hand on the wheel, and he says, I'm going to turn my radio on, turns it on, and guess who's on? It's a radio preacher. Guess what he's preaching on? He's re- preaching on the book of Revelation of all subjects. And here Brad's thinking, here I am, an atheist, and I'm listening to some dude talk about Revelation. And he realize back in the day he could refute these guys, blow them off, reject them. But today, for some strange reason, as he's driving through the Smoky Mountains, everything this pastor is saying is resonating within him. Something's different. He thought, man, there is a God. And Jesus is his son. And I don't know him. He, he began to realize how desperate his soul was. If things don't change, my life is going to continue down this road of Destruction. And suddenly it was as if the pastor was speaking directly to Brad. He was calling every listener to stop and consider this one question. What's going to happen on that day that you die? What's going to happen? What's going to happen when you die? Well, Brad didn't have an answer for that question, and he realized he needed Jesus. He needed forgiveness. And so he pulled off his car to the side of the road and put it in park, And he began to talk to Jesus about his need for forgiveness. Saying, Jesus, I believe that you died in my place on the cross. And Brad went on to um, invite Christ into his life to become his spiritual leader. And Jesus did that very thing. And over time, Brad grew in his faith. He became a chaplain in the United States Army, and he has led over 700 soldiers to Christ. He's become an ambassador. He's doing what the 144,000 Jews are going to do in the tribulation. You and I get to do that now. Let's do it.